Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. All right, thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to Primetime. Now, we had assumed the president was refusing to help us with testing because he was making a political calculation. But regrettably, we may have been wrong. Today, this president gave us reason to believe that his judgment may not just be bad, it may be impaired. Did you hear this? He's going to do things that nobody ever would ever think even possible. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, No religion, no anything. Hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God. Those are the rantings of someone shouting at the sky and hoping for spare change. A man responsible for my and your family really believes that a political opponent is trying to hurt God and hurt the Bible, whatever that means. I mean, did he find that wisdom in that two Corinthian part of the good book that he made up? If Trump wants devoutness to be a measure, remember what he knows about the Bible. Two Corinthians, right? Two Corinthians 317. That's the whole ballgame. Where the spirit of the Lord, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and here there is Liberty College, but Liberty University, but it is so true. You know, when you think, and that's really, is that the one, is that the one you like? Well, he's always looking for what you like, but he's the only Christian I've ever known who says he's never needed God's forgiveness. He's the only Christian I know who's almost never been seen attending a service. But the time has come to look past his faith, It is time to look at this man's behavior through the lens, not just of a man who simply lacks moral agency, but perhaps basic cogency. This man wants to talk about hurting God when he gassed Americans exercising their First Amendment rights to protest injustice in America. Remember, the head of the Joint Chiefs had to apologize for even being there for that scene. They were protesting injustice that is anathema to Jesus's message. Injustice that Trump denies even exists in this country. And remember why he did it. For a photo op, holding a Bible, which he was asked about and answered this way. It's a Bible. Is it your Bible? It's a Bible. I mean, is this about being devout or just dumb. He doesn't know whose it is. He doesn't know what's in it. He certainly doesn't know how to live by the message, but he wants to talk about being a good Christian? A man who puts kids in cages because he likes the message it sends? I don't think, though, that this is just about faith. I mean, I really believe it is time to take a look 
at his fortitude. Listen to this attack on Biden. Did you ever watch Biden where he's always saying the wrong state? It's great to be in Florida, Florida. No, it's Ohio. I love the state of Iowa. Sir, sir, it's Idaho. He does it all the time. There's something going on. Something going on. He looks like he's melting. That's what's going on. I mean, if he really wants to apply that standard, if that's what you want to do, let's do it to him. This is from today. And to avoid liability, shifting production to Thailand and to Vietnam. Thailand, hooked on phonics much? The TH goes as just T, as in Thailand. Maybe it was a Freudian slip, the word thigh. I don't know if it's about phonics or basic brain function. And by the way, I'd give them a pass. Yeah, T-H-A-I, that could be kind of tricky there. If we're a one-off. But this man messes up words more than any sober talker I've ever heard. Look at this. When they gaze upon Yosemites, Yosemites, towering sequoias. You talk about the whole ball game, two Corinthians, the whole ball game, 317. Yosemites? Are you kidding me? Yosemites twice? Did he really just declare Yosemite a park only for Jewish people? At least he's embracing a minority. Let me ask, is Yosemite Park found in Thailand? And when he does say a place correctly, should it matter that when he says the place, it's not where he thinks it is? I love Concord. Oh, Concord. You know how famous Concord is? Concord. That's the same Concord that we read about all the time, right? Concord. I love Concord. The people behind him. Hey, yeah. Huh? He's in Manchester. I mean, is there something going on? I mean, has he awakened a reality here by saying it about Biden? Is he really revealing something about himself? This is the man who congratulated the Kansas City Chiefs on their Super Bowl win for representing the great state of Kansas, also known as Missouri. Oh, I'm sorry, Missouri. That's okay. I'd still be president. Look, the question, where, why is this happening with him? Is it what he puts in his hair and on his face? Is it seeping into his brain, devouring his intellect, taking reason prisoner? And those oranges, that was a tart one. And I hope that this investigation now, which is finished, totally finished. No collusion, no obstruction. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings. Origins. Origins. Oranges. Origins. Should the president of the United States know the difference? Should he see the spelling of Thailand and no, it's not Thailand. Should he know that a very famous park is not Yosemite? I think they're pretty fair questions. Certainly the president does. If this comes down to a battle with Biden about mental acuity, 
I don't know that that's a race he wants to run. There very well could be something going on here, even though this president is desperately trying to prove there isn't, and this is desperate. And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. They say, that's amazing. How did you do that? I do it because I have like a good memory, because I'm cognitively there. Biden has confirmed he hasn't taken a cognitive test along the lines of what they give people to see whether or not they are suffering from Alzheimer's. Here's his response. No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. Look, the president has raised a really important issue. I had assumed that he wasn't doing what is so obvious in this pandemic, what is being told him by the people around him on the task force, Health and Human Services, Department of Homeland Security, people coming to him saying rapid testing, Brett Giroir, I need more help with rapid testing. That's going to be the future. Seeing the UK, they're not doing great, I know, but apples to apples on speed of testing, they're ahead of us. I had assumed that it was about a political calculation, but what if the truth is this president doesn't have the ability to calculate? Looking through that lens, maybe that's why all this crazy talk comes out of his face. Maybe that's the answer. Let's bring in senior political commentator Jennifer Granholm to be the judge. Um, When you think of it, Governor, are we dealing with somebody who is just bad at the game or maybe not on their game? Well, I think he is not, he, he has such a deficit of mental acuity. His, you can see this in his political strategy. Yo, you can see semite? It in his COVID strategy. Yes, he just. Yo, semi. I mean, at some point in his life, was he able to understand the difference between Yo, Semite and Yosemite? Maybe, but it's just not there now. And the fact, I mean, Chris, you started out by saying he just threw this up, this thing about, you know, that Biden's going to hurt God or something crazy like that. That's so crazy that stuff like that politically is is dynamite because it ends up backfiring. When if Joe so Biden said Yosemite Park or <laughs> oh Thailand, you know, his favorite part of the chicken, he would be yes. done with you guys. <laughs> you would put him through the ringer. You would make him pick three oh. VP to go with him. You would expand yeah. it somehow. You All you have to do, I mean, everybody saw that Axios interview two days ago. I mean, he can't even understand dishonest charts. He can't understand that, yeah, we have the highest death rate in the world as a percentage of population. He doesn't understand. You know, I don't know. Does he not understand or is he just willfully blind? He's not. Or can he not understand? Can he not understand? Because, you know, look, I mean, you know, you and I are, are, you know, are different worlds here in terms of um, surrounding the White House. But I have to tell you, When I talk to people about, you know, hey, did you prep him for this? 
you know, he was, who wrote that for him? You know, because he was reading at that time. They consistently say, listen, we tell them what is and what isn't. We know what the information is. You know, they'll get mad. They'll be like, I don't need you to tell me what the case count is, Chris. I'll say, yeah, but he just said, and they always go quiet. And I think it's a legitimate question whether or not it should be part of your guy's campaign, that it's not just that he's he's not good at the job. Maybe he's not up to the job. Well, it's a classic case. Another example of uh, projection. We know that he's got a mental problem in terms of his malignant narcissism. I think that clouds everything. And it obviously he's got some deficiencies as well that have been brought on maybe by age, maybe by pressure. But I tell you one thing, Chris, this today, I'm kind of grateful that he went over the top like that about Joe Biden, because it gives Joe Biden's camp the ability to talk about Joe Biden's faith. I mean, anybody who knows him knows that he is a lifelong practicing Catholic and that he's deeply faithful. In many ways, he reminds me of your father and the ability to pull faith into policy and caring for the least of these. Joe Biden walks the talk. He carries a rosary with him every day. It's just part of his DNA. So the fact that Trump would raise this as in sort of this flailing, I can't imagine that this was part of his written script, that he's just trying as hard as he possibly can. Or he's delusional. Another sign of I mean, my, my concern or is, you know, I got two issues yeah. here. One is I'd always assumed that he was just lying, defying reality and denying it for his own benefit. But maybe he doesn't have a grasp of it. Maybe he really does. Maybe he really does think he's religious. You know, maybe he really does well, think these things yeah. that he says. But look, I think your problem for Joe Biden is not I don't think he's faithful. It's that you lefties. This will be the argument you've turned. He, I don't care what his faith is. You guys want to kill all the babies. I don't care what his faith is. Uh, you guys want people to be able to marry anything they want, whenever they want, and decide their gender, whatever they want. And that's not what God wants. Those are the Christians that Trump's going for. Yes. How many times did Jesus say the word gay? And how many times did Jesus say the word abortion? Zero. Zero on both. And so this uh, policy of being able to care for the least of these, of and Joe Biden's theme about restoring the soul of America is evocative of his own faith. When asked about of scripture, Joe Biden can easily say the 25th chapter of Matthew. What does Donald Trump say when asked about his scripture preference? He can't find one. Or if he does, much later, he says an eye for an eye, which is something that Jesus uh, revoked in Matthew when he said, turn the other cheek. So, I mean, this notion about evangelicals following Donald Trump because of abortion or gays. I mean, they, those are not people who are going to be voting for Joe Biden and Joe Biden uh, being pro-choice. But I can tell you this, that people who care about Joe Biden's authentic faith and who can see him this morning, he was speaking to the Bap a Baptist convention, just as Donald Trump was saying that he wants to hurt God. Right. I think you're right that Donald Trump is, uh, has lost it. He's lost it. And now he's going over the top in his desperation. And that's uh, what we're seeing. If that still assumes that there's an intentionality there that is a function of intelligence. You know, this sound I wanted to use earlier in the piece, but he gave us too much to work with. Um, but remember this moment with this president. And finally, I asked the leaders of the region, political and religious, Israeli and Palestinian, Jewish and Christian and Muslim to join us 
in the noble quest for lasting peace. Thank you. God bless you. God bless Israel. God bless the Palestinians. And God bless the United States. Thank you very much. I had concerns then that I didn't understand where he, why he sounded like that. You know, why, where it sounded like he couldn't speak. And then another time we heard him speak not long thereafter, and he was like sniffing every four seconds. We couldn't figure it out. I mean, you know, look, if he wants to make, hey, Joe Biden's too old. Hey, Joe Biden's had problems. Hey, Joe Biden does want to put out of his medical records, which, by the way, should be an issue for both of these guys. I think you should have some kind of independent body looking at anybody over 60 or so uh, when they run for public office. But I don't make the rules. Um, but I wonder if this is something that Joe Biden should make an issue. Like, hey, you want to talk about which one of us is sounder of mind? Let's do it. Yeah, I, I think if if Trump continues to do this, I think that's a good idea. But I do think that the reason why Donald Trump went dark ad wise over the past week is because he had been trying that tack, mental acuity, all, all you know, all of that, and it hadn't worked. And so now his strategy is to try to yoke Joe Biden to the far left. And that's the new strategy. However, today, while he talked about uh, Second Amendment and guns and God, and so that would have been on message, he also raised this issue of Joe Biden's mental acuity, too. And that, I mean, it's just not a winner. What, he, what, what Trump is doing is going deep into his base rather than wide. And how deep you can go and get enough votes is really a question. Even the, even the evangelical, even the Christian community, I think uh, in many places, not all places, but in many places is having second thoughts, not just about his mental acuity, but about his policy acuity. Mm. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, talk about deep into the base. He's got to be careful about getting into deep, deep trouble with these questions because, you know, his health totally. is another thing that he's played with. It's another thing where he brought up Fugazi doctors and had the guy who was now running for Congress saying all these wild things uh, without showing us real data. And then when they did show data, it showed that there were issues to be looked at with his heart. You know, if he wants to play this game about who's more sound of mind, I don't know how it's going to play out for him, especially after performances like today. Question is, how can your side figure out how to capitalize? Jennifer Granholm, Gov, it's always good to see you. Always great to see you, Chris. Thanks. All right. Now, as if we needed more proof. Uh, that the pandemic is a problem. We have another congressman testing positive for coronavirus. Makes three in one week. We have the governor of Ohio, who was just on last night. He is now positive for the virus, and I wish him well and his family. I hope the governor is largely asymptomatic, and whatever he does have, he gets through quickly. The people there need him at his best. Up next, we have GOP Representative Rodney Davis here to talk about his own diagnosis what he makes of what he's up against and what we're all up against. Next. For the third time in the last week, a member of Congress tested positive for coronavirus. This time it's Representative Rodney Davis, Republican from Illinois. The congressman joins us now. Uh, I'm glad to see you're able to join. Um, just tell us, how you doing? Uh, your wife was also tested. She's negative, thank God. Uh, for now, you know, that can change. You've got to be careful around her. I'm sure the doctors are telling you that. But how are you doing? You know, I'm doing great, Chris. I, uh, I feel fine. I 
have no symptoms. My temp actually dropped, and, and I'm kind of looking forward to hearing what you went through so that I can know what to possibly expect. No, no, no. Uh, God forbid you go through what I did. Hopefully you have symptoms on the lighter scale. Some people get it. Uh, how long did you have the fever? You know, it was just uh, yesterday. I, I take my temperature every morning and every night with the same thermometer. It always registers me a little bit low, around 97 max. And yesterday, just before I got up, I wanted to go work out and I took my temperature and it was 99. And I called my wife, I said, something's up. Uh, 99 would get me into any medical facility, government building and be fine. But for me, it was different. I had a bunch of public events planned yesterday or today and, and tomorrow. I wanted to be sure. I went to a rapid scan facility, got tested and shockingly to me, I came back positive. All right, good. Uh, you know, that, look, that's perfect. And, and God willing, it stays that way. Your wife doesn't get it. Uh, and, and we're done. And hopefully you have the antibodies. You know, they don't fade too fast because you didn't have that strong a case. We go. So now it goes to what we learned from this. Your ability to get a test back quickly means everything. My biggest concern right now is that we're lost in this morass of math about testing. It's not how many tests. It's how you test and how quickly you get the responses. Don't you think this country should be going all out on the national level to get people test results as quickly as you got them? You know, I like that comment you just made, the morass of the math of testing. Uh, that's what I think confuses a lot of people. There are rapid scan machines like I was able to use because Walgreens invested in a facility in my district near my house that I was able to go in and, and get a test and, and get results the same day. So many areas don't have that. We've got to expand those opportunities. And instead, what happens is you have people wanting to be naysayers on certain types of technology. Let's get the testing modalities out to everyone. That's one reason why I've tried to make sure we led in bringing testing to Capitol Hill, not just for members of Congress, but for the staff, for the essential workers, for the media, that are roaming around the Capitol giving news every day. This has to be done and it's been held up by the Democrats in the House of Representatives, unfortunately. But today, I hear there might be some movement just reading news stories and I hope that's the case. Listen, I don't wanna go down a political rabbit hole. I don't even think it should have to do with Congress other than you guys uh, being outraged and calling for it. This is something that the federal government can do without you guys. This is what Brett Giroir is in charge of. On the, on the, in the executive branch. We haven't even heard the president say what you just said. He has never said we need to have rapid testing capabilities to get quick turnaround everywhere in this country and I'm going to make it happen. Should he? Well, I'll be honest with you. We've worked with the White House and they offered rapid scan testing uh, capabilities to Capitol Hill for the Capitol Police, for the architect of the Capitol Police. Yeah, but not Police. for the rest of the country. But you know what? He is using those rapid scan machines. And I certainly I know that the White House and and uh, the folks in the federal government, uh, if they're using those machines and it's diagnosing members of Congress who are about to get on Air Force One with the president. I know uh, those modalities ought to be able to be expanded elsewhere. But and then frankly, why doesn't he try to make it happen? It could win him the election, Rodney. If he were to put his arms around but, this and say what you're saying right now, I've given the states a chance. Illinois. You know, decent state, big problems in Chicago. They're not getting it done. I'm going to make it happen for the whole country. What Rodney Davis got, what we do for the people in D.C., everybody's going to get access there. I'll give money to the companies. I'll use the Emergency Production Act. This is MAGA in action. Why won't he even say it, let alone do it? 
well, maybe he will. I, I would like to see more late. production. But we can't just talk about testing for diagnoses either. And we've expanded testing uh, under this president's leadership, in the working with the administration, uh, working with our state leaders. We've been able to see testing capabilities for diagnoses expand exponentially. But we've also got to begin to plan for, as you said earlier, testing for antibody presence or testing for at least the presence of COVID in those who may never have known that they were infected. And I'll tell you this, Chris, if I wouldn't have taken my temperature less yesterday morning, I never would have gone in because my temp dropped to 98.6. That's exactly right. That happens. It drops, it goes yes. up and down, and then and people don't want to wait. You know, you know the problem in Illinois. You have people, and I'm not just blaming Illinois. You guys are not special. Uh, New York, every state I talk about, and I ask and I report on, they have waiting anywhere from one day, two days, to 10 days, 12 days, 14 days. It, it's not a death sentence necessarily, but it is a death sentence for reopening. And I don't think it's going to get done, um, Congressman, if you guys don't start calling for it, not left and right, reasonable, from the White House and the executive. They can make it happen fastest. Well, I certainly hope we can continue to increase our testing capacity. I like the rapid scan tests. It made me able to keep people safe that I would have gone and seen personally. And instead, during my open office hours yesterday and today, I did it virtually. I certainly hope Abbott and other rapid scan testing companies are able to continue to expand. I'm with you, but, but we again, both know, Rodney, hope's not a plan. The president hasn't even said what you've said in this interview. Hey, look, good for you for saying it. I know it's tough times in partisan politics. And I know that testing has become some kind of boogeyman uh, for this administration. But if he would at least say what they're doing in the UK, I'm going to get it done here. Six, eight weeks, we'll figure it out. I'll get those rapid tests. Then our kids can go to school. Then people can go to work the right way because you'll have data on a daily basis by the hour, by an hour and a half. He hasn't even said it. Will you call for him to say more? I certainly hope that we can expand the rapid testing. But, Chris, we can't stop with just diagnostic te diagnostic tests. We have got to get a true statistical analysis of the impact of this disease. If the CDC is, is stating that there are tens of millions of more people who have likely had COVID-19 but had no idea, we've got to figure out a way to get them tested to understand what the true impact of COVID is on our country. But that's and rapid that's, testing too. We need your, we need the media to begin asking for that type of, of testing capability. And we need investment at all levels of government to make that happen. But you know that the biggest pocket and the most power is on the federal level. Nobody can make it happen faster in Illinois, your state, than the president. Your governor can't get it done. They don't have the money. They don't have the logistics. They don't have the buying power. They can't even go to these manufacturers and say, I'll give you an output contract. Let me get all the tests you can make. They're going to say, no, it's too expensive for us. We have a hard time getting the reagent. That's why the governors are getting together because of the absence of leadership. I really believe, you know, you talked about the, the House and the Democrats. I blame all of you. You guys should be shouting at the top of your lungs, and thank God your lungs are good because you weren't as sick as I was, that we need rapid testing. Mr. President, make this happen for us, he'll be a hero. Well, 
I will tell you, thank you for uh, standing up with Kevin McCarthy, Tom Cole, and I, and, and many who have asked for testing capabilities on Capitol Hill. I think it's a travesty. We have so many people, when even when Congress isn't in session, that don't have access to what I have and my constituents have here in Illinois. And I'm, my with I'm with you. I'm with you. You guys have to ask for it to happen. I haven't heard about any Democrat not wanting rapid testing. I've never heard Kevin McCarthy say anything about this or some really ham-fisted, horrible defenses of the president's performance in this pandemic. And my feeling is I don't want to look at the past. I want to look at now and going forward, Rodney. If my kids can't get back in school because we can't get anything near real-time data, we're going to lose another generation when they could be moving ahead. They're going to be moving back. Yeah, I fear what is if we're going to do remote learning across this nation, how is that impacting students being able to get to the next grade level along with uh, mental health issues? Big problem. Big problem. But, you know, you know, I don't know where you are in the kid game, but, you know, with my kids, I would never say I can't send them to a school if nobody can give me any assurance. They're going to be able to tell me who's sick and who isn't there. I just can't do it in good conscience. I don't care if it's two days a week. I don't care if it's one day every other week. If you can't tell me what the situation is there, I don't know how I get my mind around doing that. And the difference is rapid testing. You tell your friend, Kevin McCarthy, if he wants to come on this show and call for rapid testing for everybody, I'll give him half an hour to do it. Well, I appreciate that, but I certainly will get you the letters that we sent months ago uh, offering assistance, not just from the White House who was offered assistance. And this isn't just about members of Congress. This is about the essential workers in and around Capitol Hill and making sure they had the same access. I'm sure they other- did. You guys definitely took care of yourselves in D.C. I'm talking about the rest of the country. We have to take care of ourselves. There is no testing. We need to make sure that testing is available for the media, for the staff and the essential workers around Capitol Hill. They deserve the same access that all of us have in our districts like I was able to get access to, just like all of my constituents can do. And thank you to Walgreens for opening up that testing facility in Springfield, Illinois. Well, Congressman, look, we'll agree on this. There's a lot more that could be done. And if the president leads the way, we're gonna get there a heck of a lot faster. I am happy that your fever's gone. Brother, I hope you stay healthy and I hope your, your wife never gets near it. Me too. Thank you very much, Chris. All right. Take care. Congressman Rodney Davis, Illinois. All right. Now, another story of COVID. Now, this one I know very, very well. Well, you know my next guest very well, Alyssa Milano. Now, she and I are friends. You've seen her here on the show. But Alyssa Milano found out something that she has believed was true for months, but she couldn't get a medical answer. So many people were in Alyssa's position. They think they had it. The test don't make sense. They can't get the test. They can't figure it out. We lived it together. And she finally found out that she was right. She has antibodies. She did have coronavirus. They kept telling her she didn't. She couldn't breathe. She, everything hurt. I mean, she took it a lot better than I did, um, which, you know, was a point of, you know, no source of pride while I was going through it. But two coronavirus tests later, both negative, Look at her. You've ever seen anybody go through COVID and look like that? Look at me. Look at her. Those are the faces of the two different realities of this COVID. But what she went through and what she now knows and what questions it raises for her. Next. I want to be very quick about something here. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the majority, the minority leader in the House, he never called for rapid testing for you. He called for it for people on Capitol Hill. We don't need them taking care of themselves. We need them taking care of 
you and getting rapid testing for the entire country. That's what he has to call for. He never has. I invite him onto this show to do so. I would be happy to hear. Our president has never said what the Republican congressman from Illinois just said on this show. He has never said there should be rapid testing, quick turnaround like the UK for everybody, and he's going to make it happen. He went out there with a show and tell once with rapid testing, but never he did anything. He never did anything about it. That's the truth. All right, more truth. Never told you this before. So I'm sick, right? And I'm in bed. And there were several people who reached out and really kind of changed my relationship with them, really kind of showed themselves to care about me in a time uh, when I needed it. All right. Now, one of them was taking care of me, even though she was also taking care of herself at the same time. And it was actress Alyssa Milano. All right. So I'm sick. She's sick. We talk to each other all the time during this period. She had all the signs. Okay. She had fever. She had aches. She had pains. Her lungs. She had that thing on her face. Uh, You know, all of the symptoms. They kept telling her she didn't have it. She thought she was going bananas. Okay, Um, And I saw her like this. Okay, this is not a faked picture. I saw Alyssa like this on a regular basis. How she was still able to do all the stuff with the podcast and the political activism. And she's got the kids running all over the place. I don't know. But she was able to balance it all. She was weeks sick. She had a machine helping her breathe. She real, I'm telling you, she was up against it. She was worse than I was. And she kept getting COVID tests and they kept saying negative. She took an antibody test. It was also negative. We could not figure it out. She kept saying to me, just doesn't make any sense. How can we and I have the exact same experience and I don't have it and you do? Guess what? The star just revealed she's positive for COVID antibodies. So one thing has to be true, right? She had it. So now she's calling attention to the flaws in our testing system and the severity of this crisis. And she joins me now, doing me a favor, coming on the show. And I invited on to be with Alyssa and me, infectious disease expert, Dr. William Schaffner, (laughs) to help with the questions. So first, Alyssa, I've said this to you, but I want everybody to know. When I'm appreciative to somebody, it's no secret. Thank you for being such a good friend of me, even when you were sick. Uh, and you know, I felt that you gratuitously had to outsymptom me when we were both sick. And at the time I thought you were (laughs) faking it just because you're competitive, but you were right. You were right all along. And now that you know, you had it. I had every single symptom, Chris, literally every symptom I, I had in the beginning, I had the tummy ache, um, and a low grade fever. It, It never got really high like yours. Um, I had a headache like I had never felt before, um, and I was able to get a test. And that test at that time came back negative. It was a nasal swab. It was very. It was in the beginning, so I don't know when they were talking about the swabs being contaminated. I don't know if that was what was going on. I have no idea. Then, as you do with this illness, I start to feel better, and I'm not saying like I feel great. But I'm starting to feel a little bit more human. And I, uh, you know, I'm like that for maybe three or four days. And then it hits me. I feel like there's an elephant sitting on my chest. I feel like my airways are closing in my throat. Um, I, I just was so achy. My joints hurt. Uh, I had confusion. I had sadness. I had like these bouts of just 
of crying. And, and it was a sick like I have never felt before. So I speak to my doctor again and I say, I'm not getting better. I am getting worse. I cannot breathe. And he says, because at this time, this was March. He says, what do you have in the house? I said, what do I have in the house? I mean, I, he said, do you have an inhaler in the house? I said, no. He said, do you have a nebulizer in the house? And I said, yes, because Milo has asthma. My eight-year-old has mm -hmm. asthma. So I did, the, I did the nebulizer, and he said, I want to see you again. I want to check your lungs and blah, blah, blah. And I went and got another nasal swab, and he listened to my lungs. The test comes back negative. The now, mind you, this is when California is in lockdown. Thank God. Because I know my mother, she's an Italian mother. If both of those tests came back negative, she would have been in my bed with me, cooking for me, making me, you know, trying to make me feel better. And she would have gotten sick. But we were locked down, thank God. So once I started to, and, and that was about two, two weeks. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, we were talking, it, it's, it was the scariest time of my life. And I, I bed share with my daughter. So there was that going on in my mind of like, oh, my God, have I exposed That was terrible because I could never back. curse, Doc, every time I was talking to Alyssa. She always had the kid there. Yeah. So I had to clean up my yeah. speech, which was my only luxury at the time was my ability to use profanity. Go ahead. So, so two negative tests. When I start to feel better, I then go to a doctor and I get the finger prick um, antibody test, which we now know is in incredibly faulty. That came back negative. Now, in the middle of this, my best friend who I traveled with, uh, we, I did a movie in Portland, and that's where I think I got this mm -hmm. in, in, in March. And he, six he's sick. Six tests. First, he can't get a test because he has no fever. He wasn't, right? So it was that time when you couldn't find tests. Then he takes six tests, all negative. He takes an antibody test, positive, then goes to Florida to see his parents, takes another antibody test, negative. Then comes back here, antibody test, positive. So to me, this is such an incredible, incredible failure of, of leadership and, and, and how, you know, our government should be our, our communal caretakers, our, our, uh, if they have this fiduciary commitment to take care of us and we have a communal responsibility to um, do everything we can to not spread this. And I am so I I am so I, I vacillate between anger, anxiety and just complete sadness because this was so hard. And Chris, I have means I have things that people at my disposal that I could contact. And the whole time I'm thinking, the people that don't have insurance, how are they going through this? The people that can't find tests, how are they going through this? The, the people in detention, the people who are incarcerated that have no masks or hand sanitizer, how are they going through this? You know, and, and I listen to Congressman Dave, and all of them are driving me nuts right now because this is not political. Please, there is a public health crisis. One American is dying every eight seconds from COVID-19. This isn't about individualism. This is about communal responsibility during a public health crisis. And, you know, I didn't want to make this interview political, but 
politics is personal. And, and I think it's, it's worth pointing out that while Republicans, since he was going to blame everything on the Democrats, are unwilling to help people struggling who cannot work right now with $600 a week, they have no problem sending $2.2 trillion on tax cuts for wealthy families and, and large corporations and stock buybacks. So, you know, that should tell you where their priorities are. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because there is no guidance, as you know. And I said to you yesterday, and I'm so glad you have a doctor here. Hi, doctor. Thank you for being here. We're going to get to him after the commercial. But go ahead. Finish your point. I don't know what to do next. I don't know if I get, and I still have symptoms. I still have um, heart palpitations and shortness of breath and rapid heartbeat. My hair is like falling out. Let's do this. First of all, all hair that falls out, put in a bag because I want it as part of my donor pile. Second of all, we'll (laughs) take a quick commercial and then let's put the questions you have about what to do next and why we got here to Dr. Shafter, because he knows this stuff as well as anybody does. That's why I wanted to bring him in tonight. My friend Alyssa Milano and I will be back right after the break with Dr. Shafner to figure out why did this happen to her? How do we keep it happening from somebody else? What does it say about where we are and where we need to go? Next. Alyssa Milano joins me and Dr. William Schaffner. Alyssa and I were COVID cousins. She was very good to me, even though she was very sick herself. And doctor, you heard her story uh, and we were trying to figure it out in real time. How does somebody that sick keep testing negative for the virus and antibodies and then test positive for antibodies so much later? Uh, so, Chris and Miss Milano, uh, it's good to be with you. Miss Milano, I'm sorry about your illness, and I'm so glad that you're recovering. That's comforting. Thank you, Doctor. So the answer, <laughs> the answer is several things. Uh, first, let's look at the timing. Uh, you can do timing, whether of the nasal swab test or the blood test, and just miss either the virus with the nasal swab test or the production of the antibodies if you test too early. So that's one thing, we'd have to look at the timing. Another thing is that the early blood tests that were released in the United States by the Food and Drug Administration were not very accurate. The FDA has gotten much more rigorous now and the blood tests that are on the market now are much more rigorous and reliable. And then the other thing that you both have been talking about, which I agree with a thousand percent, is that we're still not anywhere near providing enough testing for all of our needs in the United States. We need to have them widely available and we need the results to come back quickly so they can be useful both clinically, as in y'all's situation, and also for public health purposes so we can trace the contacts and get them tested and in quarantine. So we clearly need a national testing strategy. We need a national strategy for all of the control of COVID. And you know, we've been waiting for that for a long time. A quick follow up. Last question to Milano. Uh, the, uh, why isn't the answer the rapid testing where if someone like Alyssa gets tested every day, um, even if it's 40, 50% accurate, but if she's tested every day, and gets results in a few hours, you got a much better chance of catching it than the way she did it, don't you, Doc? I would think so, yes, for sure. Yeah. Alyssa, what's your question for the doctor? 
My, my question is, there is no guidance on what to do once you recover. Um, I don't know if I should go get my heart checked, my lungs checked. You know, there's there's concerns about vascular systems. Like, do I need to go get a panel for all of that? I, I just I have there's no there's no guidance because this is all so new. Um, so I'm wondering what you would advise for someone who has gone through this to do once they are starting to recover. Well, Ms. Maloney, you're exactly correct. You've provided the answer. We're writing the textbook as we go along, so there's right. no plan that we can tell you. However, you still have symptoms, and I think you ought to be seeing your primary care physician on a reasonably regular basis. You and he or she can decide what that appropriate interval is because there are indeed people who are in a long recovery phase. The virus has gone from their body but the inflammation in their body is still working its way out. Mm. And uh, it sounds from some of your symptoms that you're in kind of that position. Yeah, get ready for the term sequelae to enter your life, Alyssa. That's what the doctor's going to talk about, a Latin word that means something that follows, because they don't know anything about this either. Dr. Schaffner, thank you very much. Alyssa Milano, uh, you are family to me. You took care of me at a time when I needed it. Even though you were sick, I will always be here for you. That's why you get able to ask questions on my show, damn it. You take care, Alyssa Milano. Doctor, thank you. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, I'm Chris Cuomo. Welcome to a second hour of primetime. I'm in for D. Lemon this week, and we do have breaking news tonight. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has just tested negative for coronavirus after testing positive for coronavirus before he was scheduled to meet with President Trump today. Here's what we're told. DeWine was supposed to meet the president on the tarmac, but the rapid testing that Trump relies on detected that DeWine was coronavirus positive. So they never crossed paths. Good. Thank God the governor is okay. And a second test just came back negative. This is part of the problem. Okay. Now, how do we deal with this? Better testing more targeted, having rapid testing, which may not be accurate. That's why they got a false positive on DeWine, we believe. But if you did that every day, you'd still get a higher percentage of people who have this. See, I just spoke with DeWine on the show yesterday about rapid testing, and he is actively trying to secure it for his state, combining with other governors to do it because the federal government isn't making it happen for them. They are making it happen for themselves. Trump has rapid testing for people like DeWine who are going to be around him and his staff and the Congress called for it for themselves and for the media that covers them and the people who are essential workers there. But what about the rest of us? More rapid testing, more quickly getting results means more freedom. It is the key to getting back to school and, of course, back to normal. Let's bring in Andy Slavitt. Uh, welcome back to primetime. Obviously, you understand these kind of government protocols. People will hear this and say, rapid testing sucks. Gave them a false positive. You need the real test. But it's a compromise, isn't it, Andy? Because you'll never get those results back as quickly. So what is the argument for the right way to do this? Well, first of all, Chris, happy birthday to you. Thank you, brother. You get, get a big one. Um, look, I think we have some um, hopefully good 
testing news around the corner. You know, it's, it's easy to be um, impatient with where we are today, which is not in a good place. But I suspect in a few months, this is going to turn out to be more and more like pregnancy tests. We'll be able to use saliva. We'll be able to use paper. Uh, I think the FDA is about to approve uh, a test that the NBA has worked on um, that will have some, uh, you know, that will use saliva. That'll be easier. But most importantly, it'll just be a few dollars a test. The problem now with these hundred-dollar PCR tests that take seven or eight days, we'll never, we'll never get there. I don't know what the truth is about what Governor DeWine has given those two tests. Um, I'd take another PCR test if I were him. PCR is what? PCR test is the sort of big granddaddy test that they uh, that all the major commercial labs run. Uh, that has to that's that's currently now taking seven or eight days. Swab test, blood um, test. Typically saliva, typically swab, although uh, I think we'll be able to move to saliva uh, because we have some uh, some data now which will show that saliva can do this. We're going to want to find that you're going to probably want to use different type of tests for entry into places that's low cost that you can use in colleges versus more rigorous tests if somebody is actually sick. So giving someone a quick antigen test, then following it up with a PCR test is not a bad protocol. Uh, the problem is you've got to, you, it leaves you confused until you test another time, I believe. Now, also, you know, they ran DeWine's PCR test, this granddaddy test, as you call it, on two different platforms today, and they got results today. So obviously, you can get this stuff done fast if you're willing to what? Pay for it, limit the amount of testing they have to process. I mean, what's the, what, what is the quotient here? Well, there's two, two questions. One is how to... Can you do it physically as an individual? Yes. As a country, though, when you have hundreds of thousands of cases and fifty to 60,000 more every day, there's just no, there's no testing capacity in the world that will take that. So until we start wearing masks, contact tracing, uh, social distancing, closing bars, the, we're just going to be overwhelmed. When we bring that down, we should be able to get back to a place where even the PCR tests could be done in one or two days. But see, that's why I like those rapid tests for school. Because look, that's where I am. I don't mean to be selfish about this. I know we have lots of different aspects of this that are affecting our life, no question. But I don't see a bigger metric on the table right now than schools, because I believe it's interconnected to everything else we want. Because if you can't get the kids in school, you can't get people back to work the right way. Because they're going to have to make compromises. They're going to be the most likely to get fired uh, unless we get them some kind of protection. They're going to have home costs in terms of care for those kids that somebody's going to help them pick up. And there's none of that on the horizon. So if we were doing that with kids, these cheaper, rapid tests like the kind they ramped up in the U.K. I know U.K. has its problems, but they are getting that part more right than we are. Then, even if it's 40% accurate, Andy, every day you're getting a decent cull on who you have in those classrooms. So even if it's at 40%, but if you can do it every day and get it back in almost real time, you're better off getting back to school than doing this stupid hybrid stuff that we're doing right now. That's right. The thing I'm most excited about is what the NBA's done with, with Yale with a test that I think the FDA is going to approve in the next day or two. You know, the, the, they've gotten themselves to a point they test every single player and everybody associated with the NBA every day, and they're down to zero cases. They, the, the test is about $4 to run. So even if you make a profit, it's a $10 test, not a $100 test. And so you can imagine if you're a teacher going to a school saying, hey, I'm gonna, I want all 25 or 30 kids 
take this test, fine, I'll show up in class. Mm. But if that doesn't happen, how do these teachers uh, do that safely? But they're in a bubble in the NBA. And doesn't that, I mean, that's why they're having success or whatever, lack of cases, the way the NFL and the MLB are not having. Um, and if, uh, NHL is also doing well, but they're also in the bubble of their own. Isn't that as important as the testing? Yeah, it's all important. I mean, you, you, what, I think what they tried to do is show that there is a protocol you put together, which essentially for the rest of us would feel like good social isolation, getting rid of hotspots, and then making sure that when cases happen, because cases will happen, we shouldn't be scared of a case or two. It's a, it's a case or two that happens that we don't see that a week later is 10 cases and another week later is 100 cases. So you still have to test even if you're in the bubble because you know even bubbles are, are penetrable. People do come in and out. And so it's been, you know, they still they still find the, the odd case every now and then, but they immediately isolate people. Now, let me ask you about one other thing and I'll let you go, Andy, and thank you. COVID-19 patients not showing symptoms may have similar viral load as those who do show symptoms. I thought that, you know, now I'm confused again, because when people right. don't have the antibodies or the antibodies go away quickly, we, you guys have been saying, yes, I'm blaming you, Andy. Um, you've been saying, well, that's because you didn't have such strong symptoms. But now this study seems to say that that's not true, that symptoms aren't necessarily correlative of viral load. Yeah. So you're, you're referring to as a study out of South Korea, very interesting study. And let's remember, every study is just one study. We're in the middle of the scientific process. We're going to get studies that are going to appear to be conflicting. I think what this says is a little bit surprising. It says that you're shedding the same amount of virus, i.e. you're just as infectious, whether you're showing symptoms or not. I don't think that's what people thought. I think people thought, well, if you're infectious, you're sneezing, you're, sick, you're going to be more infectious uh, than otherwise. This study indicates otherwise, but it's just one brick in the wall of our knowledge base that we're going to keep building. All right, Andy Slavitt, thank you, brother. I appreciate you helping us understand this situation. Look, hopefully this saliva test takes us another step as long as we get it to as many people as possible all over this country. You know, the test is only as good as it is extended and available. Andy Slavitt, Amen. thank you very much. And look, you know, why do I keep naming the president? Because he's our leader. He labeled himself a wartime president, and his war is coronavirus. He defined this challenge for himself, not us. And we see how that's turned out, right? So how would the commander in chief handle threats from abroad if he were given military options? Remember, this election is about who is most fit to help us deal with these big problems. Did you know that his own advisors were afraid to give him the military options because of what they thought he'd do with them? How do we know? Jim Shudo uncovered it in reporting in his new Big Deal book. What it is, why he has it, next. So we are in the middle of a pandemic. It is literally making us sick. It's literally killing us. Millions are out of work. No matter who the president is, that person needs to make the most informed decisions possible. So that's where our own Jim Shudo comes in. You know him as a CNN anchor in the morning. Also, he's all over the place, especially when there's international news. He has remarkable insight into how vital information is handled with this particular president. It's part of his new book, Must Read, The Madman Theory. 
Trump takes on the world, goes on sale next week. It's good to see you, Jimmy. Good to be on. Thanks so much, Chris. So give us the headline. What did you learn about how people who ordinarily give everything they know to a president handle this president? This was one of the most remarkable and telling instances in this presidency, and it was repeated, frankly. But, but at the height of tensions with North Korea in late 2017, the president's military advisors were so concerned about his decision-making and his unpredictability that they hesitated to give him military options because they were concerned he might use them and he might take this country on the path to war. You might remember at the time there was this discussion of a, a bloody nose strike, uh, some sort of limited military action that would send a message to the North Koreans, right, and, and kind of bring them to the table. The, the fact is, no one in the Pentagon thought that such a thing existed because any attack would likely be interpreted, interpreted by the North Koreans as an attempt to end the regime. So they hesitated. And beyond that, Chris, they even conveyed to their North Korean counterparts that they didn't know what the president was going to do because they were concerned that the two countries were on a path to war. And it didn't stop with North Korea. At some of the most tense moments with Iran, the same thing happened. Uh, hesitation to give military options, but also communication to adversaries in the midst of this, in, in fact, our toughest adversaries, that they did not know what the president was going to do, and they were concerned what path that would lead this country on. Now, the quick counter uh, would be, yeah, that's why Trump's good, because you're able to go to your adversaries and say, oh, we don't know with this guy. He may come yeah. out swinging. So you better check yourself. People will say, yeah, Trump, strong. I like him. Thanks, Jim. Here's the thing, is that, and this is the origin of the title of the book, The Madman Theory. It actually relates back to Nixon because Nixon attempted to use a similar strategy against the North Vietnamese. He had Henry Kissinger communicate in no uncertain terms to the North Vietnamese that he was just crazy enough to order a military strike on North Vietnam. He didn't intend to do it, but he wanted to gain leverage in those negotiations. Fact was, it failed. You know how that war right. turned out. Trump's madman theory, the difference is that he applies it not just to adversaries, but to his own allies in these interactions, mm -hmm. and often to his own staff and advisors, that, that he keeps them on it. They don't know what the next play is, and therefore they're playing catch-up. There's, a, you know, the national security decision-making process follows the president's decisions. It doesn't, it doesn't come in advance. And, and I spoke to senior intelligence officials. Well, that's an they, important point. They can't hit you over the head with the unnamed sources thing. Bannon, no. Navarro, McMaster, Susan, Susan Gordon, Fiona mm. Hill, and others went on the record for you in this book. That's right. And I made a point in this book. I spoke only to current and former Trump administration officials because I wanted to get a view inside this administration. And frankly, if you do me the honor of reading the book, you'll see that I give credit where credit is due. And I give every opportunity to the president's critics and supporters to, to explain what they support and what they don't support. And, and there are instances in this book uh, where the president, frankly, deserves credit in it, standing up to, to Chinese uh, malign activities, stealing of intellectual property, you know, things that were tolerated before he drew a red line under. The question is, and this is a question I attempt to answer in the book on all these national security challenges, 
Are we in a safer place today than we were four years ago? And the sad fact is that when you look at a North Korea or an Iran who, who have made progress in the nuclear sphere, no, we're not. When you look at Russia, it, it is more aggressive, not less aggressive. And that's the real test here. You know, you can claim that the madman keeps everyone on edge, but if you're not making your country safer, then that strategy has failed. The one thing that troubles me uh, that's in the book is that you document that Intel officials intentionally reduced briefings to bullet points because he only real, reads like the first two and that they also intentionally keep negative information about yeah. Russia from him. The second one's more troubling than the first. Why would they do that? Well, let, let me start with the first just because it is telling. In his term, when H.R. McMaster was his national security advisor, and I spoke to him for this book as well, he and his team realized that the president was not reading his briefing materials. Uh, they would go in and they could tell as they were discussing Iran, North Korea, et cetera, uh, that he was hearing these things for the first time. So they developed an idea where they would boil the briefing materials down to note cards with three bullet points on them and hope that he would process that information. What they came to discover over time is he wasn't reading all three of them. He was just reading the first two. So they adjust and they concentrate the most salient information in the first two bullet points and the third one's a throwaway. Over time, they realize he's not reading them either. And listen, if you're making these kinds of decisions, you need to be informed. Now, the other point you mentioned is that the president often bristled at information and intelligence he didn't want to hear, particularly on Russia. Uh, so many times his briefers would go in and they would talk about a Russian threat, not just to elections, but, but other areas, other U.S. interests. He wouldn't want to hear it or he wouldn't believe it. Uh, and we've seen this in his public comments as well. And that sadly led them to brief him less on Russia because they have to keep these lines of communication open. And if they brief them on these threats and the president closes his eyes and ears to them, you know, they're not doing their job either. But what that led to was another problem, which is then the president became less aware of the threat. And that, of course, is, is not what you want your commander in chief to do. They might want to add uh, some phonics on those flashcards so that he gets the tie in Thailand instead of saying Thailand, mm. um, which is something you probably can't fix in a briefing. Jim Shudo, congratulations and thank you for doing the work to help everybody else understand this situation better. The book is called The Mad Man Theory. Trump takes on the world on sale next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Okay, so we could see nearly 300,000 of us dead from COVID before Christmas. These are the projections that are coming through the White House. And in that context, how does the president spend his time? Is he all out and urgent about these rapid tests because they're probably our best chance to stave off that fate? No, he is busy making wild accusations about Joe Biden hating the Bible, wanting to hurt the Bible and hurt God. Does he really want to get into a faith contest? with someone who actually has it? Biden just answered back minutes ago where this campaign is going next. You know, something occurred to me earlier today, see if it fits with your own perspective. Every time someone comes on my show to defend the president, they say, you don't know what's in his heart. And yet Trump is saying he knows what's in Joe Biden's heart. Listen. He's going to do things that nobody ever 
would ever think even possible because he's following the radical left agenda. Take away your guns, destroy your Second Amendment, no religion, no anything, hurt the Bible, hurt God. He's against God, he's against guns. Look, even by the standards of political desperation, this is pathetic. Hurt God? Is he thinking straight? Is this really the same man who has no answer for his favorite Bible verse? He just didn't even know what it was? The man who said, I've never needed to ask God for forgiveness. Does that sound like a Christian to you? Do you know any Christian who has ever said that about themselves? Even Jesus asked God for forgiveness. The man who you must examine through the lens of what he does. He gassed protesters for a photo op with a Bible. He put kids in cages because he liked the message of harshness. And now he wants to talk about vote for me. I'm the Christian. Listen, let's talk about this from a reporting perspective with one of our best, and I'm only saying that to not hurt everybody else's feelings, Dana <laughs> Bash joins us right now. It's good to see you, my friend. I'm glad that the healthy, the family's hey, healthy. Um, Thank goodness. Tell me, what is the play? What is going through his nutcracker that go after him about the God thing, faith, devoutness, that's our play? Why? He started out with the radical left, and that is still the, the biggest play that they have, accusing Joe Biden of being part of the radical left. And he clearly, you kind of see the wheels turning, right? He clearly took that and took it way further than anybody in his camp had hoped or intended. I mean, yes, you can say take, he wants to take away your guns. That's kind of a standard Republican line. But on the God front, it absolutely made no sense, as you said, for any reason. Number one, given the messenger, but most importantly, given who he's talking about. Because you can say a lot of things about Joe Biden. You can't say he's godless. He has a very, very deep faith. As you know, the same faith that you, you share the faith that he does. He's a very uh, staunch Catholic, has been his whole life. And it did get him through some very, very tough times losing uh, members of his family, two children and a wife. Yeah, I mean, look, anybody who knows Joe Biden knows question of his faith is a mistake. He's got flaws and weaknesses like everybody else, probably drives his faith. But as a politician, uh, you got plenty to go after him. It's probably not uh, deep sand for this president. Uh, also, another play that they're making uh, that I, I want to hear what your perspective is on it from the, the reporting. The idea of questioning whether or not the election will be legitimate. It didn't work for me as a logic play, because if you're so worried about how things will be in November and that now things are good, but in November they may not be, then logically his argument should be to move the election up. Now, of course, only Congress can do it. McConnell doesn't want to. But what is their play in questioning the outcome of the election? Yeah, no, there's that. There's no logic about it. It is pure politics and there's absolutely no hiding it. Um, there's not really much of an attempt to. It is the president feeling as though uh, he needs to lay the groundwork for an attempt to call it rigged. He's already calling it rigged even before any votes are cast. That's the way he was acting, if you remember, in 2016 when he thought he was potentially going to lose. 
And then he changed his tune immediately afterwards, if you remember. And so, look, you know, Chris, you know him better than I do. And you've known him for a very long time as a New Yorker. That's the way he operates. He attacks systems. And you know what? Attacking a system got him to the presidency because he fed into a very, very real feeling out there that the system is messed up and needs to be attacked. But now he's a big part of the system and he is not only attacking it, but he's not doing anything to help it if he claims that it has problems. And as president, that is a responsibility he has too. I thought, you know, I've changed my posture. Um, I no longer recognize the man who is the president of the United States. I have known him a majority of my life. The families have known each other. I've seen him in a lot of different mm -hmm. iterations of his life. I never saw any of this in him to this pronounced degree. When his niece came on and said, you know, you're wrong. He's not just a demagogue. He is a bigot. I heard the way he spoke about blacks and Jews. I heard how his father spoke about him. You're wrong. I, I was, I, I had never seen that before. And people where I grew up, Dana, you have to understand, you don't, you don't run down minorities, you don't run down Jews and people like that in Queens and look the same for very long. So it was surprising <laughs> to me. So I don't recognize what he's about right now in his desperation. But I'll tell you what I do recognize, greatness. And the reason that I pump you up so often is because you deserve it in your work <laughs> and how you do your work. And it's not just me saying it. Watch this film on HBO Plus about, HBO Max, about Dana and others on the trail. Watch. When I got my job on air, I was 31. And that still felt young to me. I went on the road. I worked my butt off. By the time I got to really focusing on having a family, it was so hard. The idea of having kids late it just kind of happens to a lot of women in my business. It's not intentional. I know how hard it is to be a woman in this business. You can have it all, but not always at the same time. This is what we call Hell Week. Oh my God, this feels so nice. On a normal day, I do three events a day. Hello, Indianola! I'm a campaign embed. I stalk presidential candidates for a living. Let me just get in there. I run around with a 20-pound camera, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Oh, there she is. Documenting everything that a presidential candidate is doing. Right now, I'm covering Senator Elizabeth Warren. I've been traveling the country with her for eight months, full-time, nonstop providing the base for coverage to our company. I want to bring in Daniela Diaz right now. You saw her there in the film on HBO Max. So uh, this is a uh, beautiful way to capture the reality of what brings coverage together. Uh, the reality of what you do, nobody works uh, harder than the producer PJs out in the field reporting and capturing the raw material that allows us to shape our understandings that, Dana, nobody brings home better than you with your sourcing and perspective. So I love that the film is capturing this dynamic specifically through the experience of being women doing these jobs. Dana, uh, on, a, on a wide scale, the difference in your experience from male counterparts, what matters? <laughs> um, 
a lot, a lot. But I, it's, I'll tell you, the thing that has been so terrific, and it's happened more and more as the years have gone on, Chris, as I've covered, uh, as I've just been a journalist in general, but specifically campaigns, is that there's so many more of us. We're not there yet. There's not parity. We don't have a total equality, but we have a lot more in numbers, and there's a real sisterhood. And um, and I I get to work with and really you know learn from people like Daniela, who has a completely different perspective than I. Yes, she's a woman, but she's a lot younger than I am, and a lot more fearless than I am, and has a perspective of being. And you can speak to this, Daniela, uh, a Mexican American, and that's an important. A perspective that we get to have from her, just like other perspectives from others uh, who come from all different walks of life. So, Daniela, give us a sense of two things. One, uh, this is a first for you, um, covering it in such a deep way, but just being around this process in this way. What has it changed in you, this duration, this depth of that process? You know, Chris, I feel like it's changed everything about me to be able to cover a campaign from the ground. I've been I've learned how to multitask. I've learned how to to shoot. I never knew how to shoot on a camera. I was already a a digital reporter before this. It was a new skill that I added to my resume. But I wanted to say that Dana talks about, you know, these fearless women. She's incredibly fearless as well. Like, I want people to know that us embeds, we look up to women like Dana who paved the way for us. This this is a new generation of embeds that are covering this election, super diverse, and it couldn't have happened without reporters like Dana. And the ethnic experience. Um, you know, the, the goal of diversity in journalism is not to just have people who look different on camera. It's to have people who bring different life experience to the questions mm-hmm. they ask of people in power. What does that mean to you in doing your job, Daniela? Chris, it means everything to me. I mean, I can't do my job without always considering my background. I'm a Latina. My parents are from Mexico. I grew up in McAllen, Texas. These are all things that contribute to everything I do every single day. I think it's a strength of mine. I see it as a positive to be a bilingual woman covering politics, you know, moving move to D.C. and and be able to cover this election across the country and, and bring those skills to what I do every day. You know, I want to say this. You should watch the film. Uh, It's called uh, On the Trail, Inside the 2020 Primaries. It's on HBO Max. It's streaming now. And Dana, uh, Daniela, I want to thank you and congratulations on the great work. I'm very proud uh, of you that you're having it represented in the film. And Dana, I've known you a long time. I was raised in the business by your father. And this is something that will matter to him. So I'm going to say it. For a parent to see their values encapsulated and improved by their kid is the blessing that every parent wants for their children. And your father, Stu, has seen that in you. And he must be so proud. And I hope you know how proud you've made your parents and all of us in your family here at CNN. I wouldn't want to work with anybody else. To both of you, congratulations and thank Thank you for representing us at our best. All right. Be well. The president is so worried about this upcoming election. Mail-in battling, uh, balloting specifically. Why? It's access. It's access to the masses. It makes it easier to get in the game. That he didn't bother to see where it's actually the norm. He got out over his skis. Colorado's governor is here to tell us why he's shocked that anyone would have a problem 
with what they're doing. Their entire election is done this way in Colorado. They're not alone. The reality, next. President doesn't want you to vote by mail unless you live in a place where he needs more votes. Now, what is this about? Ugly politics from someone who increasingly is going to lose to the scrutiny of whether or not he is hitting on all cylinders with some of the things that's coming out of his mouth. They make no sense. They don't even benefit him. Five states have been voting almost entirely by mail for years. Now, I'm sure he, sure he doesn't know that. They have no substantial fraud. And more people there vote as a result of their process. My next guest runs a state that's been called the gold standard for voting by mail. Colorado Governor Jared Polis. Welcome to Primetime Gov. A pleasure, Chris. Can't vote by mail. Wrecked with fraud. Don't know who anybody is. Can't verify the signatures. You guys send out ballots all over the place. It's terrible. Absentee, now that's good. But what you do, horrible. It's so bizarre to anybody in Colorado or the other states that have been doing this for years to like hear this national discussion, frankly, Chris. It's the way we've been voting. It's been the default since 2012. But long before 2012, uh, we had a majority of our voters vote by mail. And I voted by mail essentially my entire adult life. I think I've been to a precinct polling place maybe twice in my life. But I mean, if you talk to Coloradans, that's the way we vote. And we're very happy to vote that way. Republicans, independents, Democrats, when we put this on the ballot in 2012 and we went to the default being mail-in, it got 74% of the vote, Chris. I mean, try to get 74% of the people to agree on anything. The people who don't want to show up in person are sneaky. And you don't really know who it is that's signing that ballot. Can't make sure. Response. We have a signature verification at all the mail-in ballots. We have secure drop boxes all over town. You can also put it in the mail. People call them mail-in ballots, by the way, but most people actually drop them off at drop boxes or at voting sites. But you, you can put them in the mail. Uh, and it's been a wonderful experience. We've increased voter participation, no major instances of voter fraud, not controversial. Republicans, independents, Democrats, all strongly supportive of, of voting this way because Colorado is one of the states where we have a lot of initiatives on the ballot, Chris. So you might get asked 10, 12 different questions between state and local. And if, you've, if you're gonna go to a voting booth, you might be in there two hours. So people like to do it at home, research it on the internet, cast an informed ballot and get it back in. It is not easy to answer a negative, but let's see if you can. Uh, do you have proof that you haven't had fraud? Well, I, yeah, it's, as you said, it's hard to have a negative. I think that there's, uh, you know, there, there are um, instances of fraud in any election system. What I can assure you is that there's no more fraud the way we're doing it than the conventional way of, of people having to go in place. And by the way, there's actually less fraud in a sense because there's two kinds of frauds in voting, Chris. One kind of fraud is you fraudulently cast a ballot. The other kind of fraud is you're fraudulently denied the right to cast a ballot. And we have less of that latter type of fraud in Colorado without having more of that first type of fraud. Mm. So what do you think this is about for the president? Oh, you're asking me to get in the president's head, Chris. I have absolutely yep. no idea, as no one else does. But I can tell you, this is common sense in Colorado. He should talk to Republican friends in Colorado that he has. They'll all say, of course we vote this way. Uh, we elect Democrats and Republicans. We're a purple state. We have a Republican senator, a Democratic senator. We have four members of the House who are Democrats, three who are Republican. They were all elected this way. And there's really uh, wide support uh, across the aisle because it's a, it's a simple reform that makes it more secure and safer to vote. But 
But I'll tell you what also it would do if you could get it in people's minds that it's bad. It would reduce turnout. 2018, mail ballot 95.3%, in-person total 4.7. If you can keep people from thinking that mail-in ballots are the way to go, you would drop participation. Now, the irony for the president is there are a lot of places that have mail-in voting where the, he has voters. And now his own people don't want to come out and use it because they think that's somehow supporting him. You think this is something that could backfire for the president? I do. I certainly don't think it's strategic. And, and uh, what you have is the people that might be inclined to listen to his so-called words of wisdom uh, would be more hesitant to vote by mail and then therefore less likely to vote. Those who disregard his opinion about the integrity of mail balloting are going to vote that way anyway. And in Colorado, where we've had this experience for well over a decade, a majority of our voters since the early 2000s, uh, I think people largely just ignore it and, and strike, it, strike it up to the president being ignorant on the topic. Governor Jared Polis, thank you for giving us a perspective on how mail-in voting works with a lot of experience and a lot of uh, turnout and, frankly, buy-in uh, from a major state's population. Thank you very much. God bless. Stay healthy. Thank you. Take care. All right. So uh, fourth installment tonight of Life Lessons. I'm turning 50 at the end of the week. Can't really have a big party. So I'm kind of celebrating with you with what I've learned over these years. Uh, they are lessons that I believe are as rational as they are relatable. I think they're things everybody figures out after some time on this earth. And yes, I'm trying to make so that there's a little bit of a conflation, a dovetail with what we deal with personally and how it plays out politically. I have a next one for you. Ready? It's you only control your ability to do the next right thing. Why does that matter? Next. I'm going to be 50. I've spent a lot of time in my life regretting what I've said, what I've done, what I haven't said, what I haven't done. The past, I've lamented it, I've damned it, I've dreamed of going back, I've talked to people about it. A lot of us do that, right? And then we have a tendency to go from what you did and how upset you are about it or how you wish you had done it differently and we jump to the future. And we start to dream and project about how we'll be different and how we'll be different the next time and what we'll do. And what do we skip when we do that? The only thing we control. Life lesson number four. You must focus only and always on doing the next right thing. History, right? The past is a mystery. The, the past is history. The future is a mystery. But today is a gift, and that's why it's called the present. I got that from Kung Fu Panda. Now, what is the genius of it? All we have is now. People talk in meditation about being present and teaching you to be here. You do that on your own. Works for me, may not work for you. All you control is doing the next right Thing. Now, we don't do that. Why? Because there's an indulgence to want to beat ourselves up for the past, to say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry is a word. Being better is an action. Remember, you are only what you do. So if you are sorry about the past, instead of projecting onto a future that you don't know what you'll be, focus on now. Do the next right thing. That's the only way you get away from a flawed past. It's the only way you get toward a better future. I hurt her feelings. I hurt his feelings. I broke his heart. 
do something good for him now. Personally, I know this is true. It's not always easy, but it is more helpful than anything else. Politically, we see it also. We see politicians all the time. This president. I did a great job. We're doing better than everybody else. We're going to have more of this. We're going to do more of that. What are you doing right now? You screwed up. Focus on doing the next right thing. He can't. He may not be able to. You are. I am. It's not easy, but it's easier than spending our time lamenting what we can no longer control and dreaming about what we don't know is going to happen. The past is history. The future is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why it's called the present. Focus on doing the next right thing. Easy to say, hard to do. Lesson number four. We'll be right back. It is time for CNN Tonight, and there on the other side of your screen, across from the old man, is the upgrade. Laura Coates in for D-Line. I don't see an old man. I see a man with wisdom. I'm loving your lessons. I'm loving it. I was talking to my parents earlier today, and they said, you know, you got to break the cycle. Be the person you need when you need, be the person you wanted to have when you needed something. You know, if you rejected, choose acceptance. And so you are, it's like a bookend. That was my morning conversation with my parents, and not that you're my parents, but that was the bookend of my evening. So thank you for that. Well, that was the smart person's cultivation, the first part. <laughs> I am the simple man who's made a lot of mistakes, idiot's guide for going forward. All you can do, we spend so much of our lives, and in politics, criticizing, lamenting the past. Mm. When it's over, it's over. All we control is what we do next, the next choice. And in life, you want to focus on doing the next right Thing. Don't waste the emotional energy of beating yourself up for what you screwed up. You did the wrong with your kid. You did the wrong thing with your spouse, your friend, all of them. All you can control all is the once. next right thing. Kung Fu Panda taught me that. And 50 what? years of messing up. I mean, what didn't you learn from Kung Fu Panda? I'm just saying, that's a, that's a hell of a movie. I've watched it 20 times with my kids. Thank you for the reminder yet again. Thank it you so true. much. It is true. You should see me move <laughs> off center and my, my grab and my kick. And I am built much like a panda and I am the same colors. I wasn't going to say anything. But, yes, you were. You were just <laughs> looking for an opening, and no, I gave I, I it to you. you I, and I could have walked right in, but in honor of your birthday, thank you're you. welcome. That thank is you. your gift, and thank you so much. Thank Chris. you very much. Have a good night. Good night. Go watch the movie. You have too. Fun. This is- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.